0: following is a recording of a sermon given at all saints lutheran church in ottawa canada for additional messages and more information visit all one of the blessings of the these covid years is this on i don't feel as loud as i was before which is fine you can hear me okay yes good uh so one of the uh blessings of these uh, past two COVID years. Yes, there have been blessings. Sometimes you have to look for them. Um, Is uh, the then president of the association that this church is a part of called the Canadian Association of Lutheran Churches, CALC. Um, He uh, started a weekly pastors online Zoom meeting. And so that doesn't. We don't normally have opportunity through the years for the various pastors of the thirty-something congregations from Ontario to uh, British Columbia to actually get together, and that's been happening almost every every week ever since it first started early on uh, in in the COVID time. And uh, sometimes one of the uh, sometimes the time starts off with a, a, a devotional where one of the pastors shares something. I've had my turn, and uh, the, the pastor that shared on Friday is actually brand new uh, from uh, Malaysia. He's pastoring the, uh, I think it's called the uh, Vancouver Chinese Lutheran Church. And uh, he, he spoke on that passage on, on Luke 15, which I'm not going to, but I just wanted to make this one comment. Um, he pointed out something that a lot of people don't notice and it has to do those three parables, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. Who is the audience of those parables? And who is Jesus speaking the parables to? Where we're told, and it's the religious leaders at the beginning, because they were kind of put off because of these tax collectors and sinners, the outsiders, the the, the not cool what they saw as the not cool folks of the society. The, the the lower whatevers, they were, they were coming to Jesus. They didn't like this. And so he told those parables. And when you get to the end, the longer one about the lost son, we tend, historically the church is so delighted about that story because we all, we want to be the prodigal son that comes home. And we'd like to talk about that and about the, how the father receives the lost son and certainly the lesson that we who are lost can simply turn around and come back, and the Father runs to us. Such a wonderful thing to remember. But the audience of the parable is the elder son. It's the, it's the religious leaders that were all harumph about the people coming back to the Lord. And, and so the, the character that's in the par, a parable of the lost son that's the audience of the parable is the elder son who won't come in the house to join in the party. Now, it'd be very easy. We take that parable and we go, oh, you know, stick in the mud kind of church folks. And, you know, bad, 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 because they're put off by people coming, this sort of thing. And it's easy to really dump on that elder on, on the elder son type person, the harumph people. But we're told in the parable that the father goes out to the older son and the Greek says, basically begs him to come in and join the party. Who's the lost, really, who's the lost son in the story? Is it the prodigal son who spent everything? Or is it the people that are always there, they do the right thing and all the rest, And yet, it's so easy for us who've been around for so long to be the harumph ones. But the message of the Lord is, you don't have to stay there. Please come in and join the party. And that's why we look at passages like we're looking at today. And and on this little journey in the wilderness uh, that we've been doing these past few weeks. In keeping in the spirit of Lent, which... Is a time to remember the Lord's wandering in the wilderness. Um, we're, we're taking this walk with Him. And remember, as I've said each week, uh, I'm very, one of my many concerns I have with how God's Word is often taught and how we receive it is there's a tendency when we think about all that Jesus has done for us is we think that he did all these things that we couldn't do so that we could receive the benefits that we don't deserve. That's true. But then we think it just stops there. That Jesus did what we couldn't do so we can enjoy the benefits. Amen. It's way more than that. It's more important than that. He did what we could not do so that we can now do them. It's not like the, you know, I don't know if any of you have ever thought about I wonder if there's a rich uncle out there and one day I'm going to get that letter that the rich uncle who I didn't know left everything to me. Wouldn't that help? But that's how we think about Jesus. He died like that rich uncle and he just, and he leaves us this inheritance. He has left us an inheritance. But that inheritance is a legacy. It's a legacy That calls us to continue the mission that He started. And by the the riches that He's given to us, He's poured out upon us the gift of the Holy Spirit, which we mentioned in our service already, so that we could live the lives that He's called us to live. Jesus, Jesus' 40 days in the wilderness is reminiscent of Israel's 40 years in the wilderness. And we looked at that a few weeks ago. Israel failed after all that God had done and all that God was teaching them. Israel failed. Where Israel failed, Jesus succeeded. Israel failed like Adam and Eve failed. Where Adam and Eve failed, Jesus succeeded. But not so that we can simply adore him forever, which we will but it's an adoration unto action. It's an adoration unto a life that's reflected of him. His due for all that he has done is not a bunch of of trophies up on his shelf of the people that he rescued, but of the army that he's raising up, a godly army to bring God's salt and light into the world to make a difference in establishing the kingdom of God forever that we will not experience it to its fullness until Jesus comes back. But until then, we're like, we're like a diplomatic corps, the kingdom of heaven, scattered all over the world, bringing the goodness of, of our citizenship in heaven to the four corners of the earth, including Ottawa. And so it's it's so important to look how Jesus took his stand against the devil so that we could do the same thing in our day. And so today we're looking at the second temptation. Matthew chapter 4, verses 5 through 7, we read, Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone." That's from Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12. Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Now, some wonder, or some think, rather, that this was a vision that he had. Others think, no, it was an actual actual physical thing that happened. Either way, the point is the same for the most part. Um I find it given what was going on and that he was in the wilderness and it was a, a spiritual interaction he was having with a spiritual being, I tend to believe that this was more some sort of vision type experience as opposed to an actual one. Don't know for sure. If it was an actual one you'd think somebody would have noticed that there was a man at the pinnacle of the temple. You'd think. We're not told that. Um we are told that this all happened in the wilderness. So anyway, as I like to say, there's more things that we don't know with regard to the Bible than what we do know. What we do know is more than enough to give us all that we need to know God and live for him. Now, again, some think that this, the, what was going on here was this was to be a sensational public display that's what the devil was trying to set up, and of course that would lead to uh, an idea that it, it actually that he actually took him to Jerusalem somehow for this to happen, and that he was the temptation was show yourself off so that everybody sees how the angels of God protect you. Uh, but I don't think that's the essence of, of the uh, of the temptation. It doesn't really fit in with. with the other temptations. The first one was about sustenance. He hadn't eaten in all those days, and he was really hungry. So why don't you use your power to make bread if you're the Son of God? And Jesus didn't do it because the Father did not direct him to. That was not the Father's will for him to do that. And so he quoted Man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And I explained last week that those are two kinds of living. One kind of living is one that's driven by our bellies, driven by our appetites. The kind of living that is so prevalent in our day to day. Driven by our desires. Give in. Be true to yourself and and live according to how you feel, not according to God's will, which often clashes. Jesus stood the test. This one, as far as I could tell, is another basic human, call it need, call it what you want, but this one is about safety. It had to do with testing God if God was really going to take, Jesus, take care of Jesus in this crucial mission that he was on. will God really take care of you Jesus? why don't you test it out it's why don't you test it out like why don't you create this this trial situation go for like go for broke at the beginning of this thing so you'll know like if you do this jump and the angels catch you like the Bible says they will then you have nothing to fear here on in. You're good. And very often is that what we want to do? We want to know that God is going to take care of us in all of our future challenges before we leave, before we do anything. Somehow, you know, when Jesus told them, you know, get in the boat, somehow we want to know everything first, but you, you don't get to do that. You don't know what you're going to face until you face it, and there's no way that we get assurances beforehand, before we embark on the journeys that we're called to take in life, but don't we want that? Don't we want those assurances? If only I would, is there some way I would know I'm going to be okay first, before I, whatever it might be? It's a scary world out there, It's one of the things that there's so many people that have been affected by the idea of, oh, if I ever give my life to God, he might call me to do, it's usually go to Alaska or Africa. It's like, it's, it's one of those things. He might take me to a place with the snakes or the tarantulas, or he might actually send me to that particular people group that I would never tell anybody that I can't stand them. There's no telling what God might do if I actually dedicate my life fully to him. So can't I have an assurance first? Nope. You don't get that. That's not living by faith. That's not treating God as Lord and King. It's trying to put ourselves, it's trying to put ourselves in the driver's seat of life. And that is not that's not how we were made, intended to be made as human beings. We were to be children of God, trusting in the love of our heavenly Father. And ever since Adam and Eve messed up, we've treated our heavenly dads, our heavenly dad, with suspicion. What might he make me do? maybe he'll bring me into a situation that i will not be able to handle okay so maybe i'll serve him but can't i have some assurances first well we do get an assurance and it's him and so in this situation of of the the devil telling him to jump off this 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 high place and and some people think the drop from the pinnacle to what a, where ground zero would have been was a very great distance. Some of the clue of what this is all about is found in the scripture that Jesus quotes back. So he tells them to jump, bases it on scripture, and we're going to come to the fact that the devil quoted scripture to the Lord in a bit. And Jesus, in his resistance to the devil's temptation, quotes Deuteronomy 6.16, you shall not put the Lord to the test. The whole verse is, "You shall not put your Lord, the Lord your God, to the test, as you tested him at Massa." So, when Moses commanded this to the people of Israel, the thing that Jesus quotes to to, to um, resist the devil is a reference to a particular incident, a very important incident. It's important because it's not only mentioned in Deuteronomy 6, it's brought up again in Deuteronomy 9, Deuteronomy 33, and in Psalm 95, where the people of Israel are reminded over and over again to not test the Lord as they did at Massa. Well, what happened at Massa? Well, that's Exodus 17 verses 1 through 7. Prior to That incident at Massa is the what set up the situation with the manna. They had no food, they were complaining, God provides the manna, God provides birds to eat, quail takes care of them. The next scene, which is Exodus 17, is they're out of water again. And they are they are complaining bitterly against against Moses and the Lord. And the last verse, verse seventeen seven says, and he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because they tested the Lord by saying, "Is the Lord among us or not?" Their complaining wasn't just, you know, "Weh we're thirsty." It wasn't just that. It was they were their approach to the situation was questioning whether or not God was actually with them. And this is regarded as testing the Lord. Are you really here, God? Now, to be honest, we often wonder that. And they were wondering that with the manna episode. And they were wondering that at the Red Sea. And they were wondering that when after the Red Sea, they got to this place where the water was bad. And God uh, made the water safe to drink. And, and he'd be with them in all sorts of things. And all of a sudden here, this one at Massa is called testing the Lord. Don't do that. Why is this incident testing God when it's not brought up in the other, other times? Because by now, they should have known better. By this time, God has shown himself as loving and gracious and kind. And he has proven himself over and over and over again. But it was still not good enough. And so they way overreacted to it. It was a difficult situation. I don't if they would have simply stopped and, and said we're having a problem here no water in the wilderness we need to pray and seek god what should we do that's not what happened basically came down to god has forsaken us god doesn't care god doesn't hear does he even exist or he hates us this is all a mistake and when we get there, when we should have known better, that's testing the Lord. Now, before I go on, I want to, I want to emphasize something. Another misnomer that I think we have. There's, there's the one misnomer where we think where we take God for granted. Jesus died for my sins. Doesn't matter what I do. I may not say it like that. Doesn't matter what I do. I'm good. Got my ticket to heaven. Bible does not teach that. It's a devilish doctrine. Another extreme is because of all that God has done for me and all the years I've walked with him, I should be good. I I should be so godly. I should be so patient. I should be sinless. There There are theologies out there that even teach like explicitly teach that sort of thing. And so what do we do when something happens and we overreact? What do we do when something happens and we underreact? What do we do when we get angry? What do we do when we get jealous? What do we do when we say things that we shouldn't? What do we do when we know we're not behaving as people of faith? Do we automatically go, well, I guess God's not real? Therefore, if I'm like this... Then either the whole thing is a sham, make believe, or I'm not really in, and I may as well give in to all these tendencies. I've been fighting. I'm, I'm, this is a, this is a, a, a hypothetical quote. I've been fighting this addiction my whole life, and I still get drawn back to it. Therefore, God's not real, or therefore. I must not be a child of God. Temptations are real. Our our tendency towards sin is real. That's why in this tradition, we do a confession every week. I try to pray the Lord's Prayer every day. I figure he's supposed to pray it every day. It says, give us this day our daily bread. and, And I do prefer to eat each of the days of the week and along with give us this day our daily bread forgive, forgive me my sins as I forgive those who sin against me so I, I must be sinning if the Lord wants me to pray that prayer right hopefully not purposely hopefully not completely overwhelmed by it but I still blow it we all still blow it but I get the impression that some of us think that because we are drawn a certain way, that's who we are. And I may not actually be a child of God. And there are descriptions of lifestyles in the Bible that would give the impression that if that's where we are fully stuck, and that's where our hearts delight, then I might question Our place in the Lord. But if we struggle with various sins in our lives, that's not who we are necessarily. We need to fight. We need to fight. That's why Ephesians 6 put on the whole armor of God so that you can fight. That means there's real attack coming upon us. There's real temptation coming upon us. And if we don't put on the God's given protection, we make ourselves vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy. They're real. This past weekend, I've been having a bunch bunch of struggles, a bunch of emotional ups and downs. Uh, Yesterday, some things happened, and, and I was overreacting. And then by the evening, I was overreacting. All sorts of overreactions, And uh, it's often Sunday mornings could be really, really brutal. And I've got a friend in in town that he's the guy I I text and and, and I sent him this morning. It was one of, I read right off the bat, one of those prayer requests. I think I'm under spiritual attack. It's real. It may not be real every time. I think it's real, but it's real. And we're called to fight. We're called not to give in to the temptations. Your temptations is not, that's bad grammar. Your temptations are not who you are. You are not your desires. You are not your sins. If you know the Lord Jesus, you're a child of God. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. Don't believe the devil when he tells you you belong to him just because there's remnants of sin hanging out in your life. But deal with them. Take it seriously. Engage the fight. And so, Jesus quotes the lesson that God wanted the people of Israel to learn. Don't test the Lord your God. There's a point at which you need, we need to accept God is with us and we live accordingly. Accordingly. We're not to wait until God proves the future for us before we do step out. I've, I've already been explaining that. There's no negotiating with, our, with, with God, with our master. There's no predictability with him. There's only dependability. One of the things that's happened over this COVID time, and I realize we actually used to say to each other, take care, which I've, all, I've wondered about that. Is that what we should be saying to our fellow believers? But now, you know, usually, you know, you talk to customer service and they say, "Used to say, have a good day." And now, more and more of them are saying, "Stay safe, stay safe." So I tried looking it up in the Bible, go to the concordance at the back. You know, where's "stay safe"? Seems to me it says, "Live dangerously, not stupidly." You don't go up to that temple and jump on. That's the thing. We're not. There's. There's. I heard somebody say faith is spelled R-I-S-K. And that's, that's kind of cute. Risk, if you didn't count that, catch that. Faith is spelled risk. Well, well, yeah, if God is calling you to take that risk. We don't just go and do risky things for their own sake. But we live in a dangerous world. And I was raised, I was raised with a mom that tried to protect me from that dangerous world. It drove my father crazy. But she was very typical Jewish mother. If you don't know Jewish, that's why I had a Jewish mother. No, it's the other way around. I'm Jewish because I had a Jewish mother. And everything was, don't run. Wear a hat. Be careful. Ooh, 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 ooh. So I never, I never climbed trees. I didn't go over fences like a lot of other kids did. I didn't learn. To navigate the danger, the normal dangers of life, the risky things of life properly. I was raised with all this fear. Then I come to know, and then I come to know Jesus. And I and I had the impression that that his motto for me was, you know, you know, it was safety, but it'd be okay and be happy all the time. Some of you know my story. And it's been a challenge for me to learn, but no, not really. He's the He's the Lord that calls us into the boat, knowing there's gonna be this horrific storm. He calls us to walk on water, even though he knows the way the winter is going to come and, and frighten us and distract try to distract us. He calls us into danger. Again, we shouldn't stupidly go into dangerous situations thinking, you know, I'm good, I'm fine, God's with me. That's one of the lessons in this. We don't just do whatever and call it faith. But if man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God, then it's to God that we listen, and we're, we're called. He knows what's best, and, and he often leads us into very dangerous situations and gives no, like, practical assurances. There's a practical assurance. He says he's going to be with us. That should be good enough. But we want something more tangible to hold on to, and that's not part of the bargain. So God might test us. We don't test God. He has nothing to prove, and he insists to be the only one who stays in control. The last thing I want to look at is the fact that the devil quoted scripture. That should tell us something. It's from Psalm uh, 91, 11, and 12. In the Matthew portion, there's a, a bit left out, but the, there's, there's nothing to find with that. He accurately quoted the scripture. And that should be, the devil quotes this Bible. And I've been in this for a while now. Does he ever? Does he ever? Sometimes it plays in our minds. Sometimes it comes from pulpits. Used to be radio. Now it's radio, YouTube, and other things. Just because it's Bible doesn't make it right. And doesn't mean you know there's the, the the cult groups that use and abuse the Bible. Not just there. I've seen Bible used, maligned, abused in all sorts of ways. The devil quotes the Scripture. So just you know that should have alerted Jesus then and there, because when he in this case he knew it was the devil that was doing the quoting. Often we don't realize it's the devil. But th- that alone should be enough to to. Um, uh, to put us on guard when we know it is the devil. But how How in the world, if the devil quotes scripture, how in the world can we resist something like that? We love the Bible. The Bible is true. Well, I guess we're going to need to know our Bibles. And sadly, we often treat it as a disjointed set of principles. We don't know the whole Bible in a holistic sense. Now some of us have had access to the Bible for many, many decades and so we're, we don't have an excuse. Maybe we haven't learned it as we should. Well, as long as we have our faculties, maybe we should get busy. We're, we're living in one of the most literate uh, times in history. There's more Bibles and, and Bible versions than any other time. And in the English world, the amount of Bibles and resources to help are almost without limit. We have no excuse. We need to try to read the Bible without expectations. That's one of our problems. We often we go to the Bible and we want to get a certain thing out of it. I would suggest that we read the Bible humbly and ask God, what do you want us to get out of it today? We need to read the Bible without theological presuppositions. Theology is important. But theology are its conclusions about the Bible, not the Bible itself. The Bible must challenge our ideas for it to have the place in our lives that God wants us to have. So one of the just... um, Couple weeks after I came to know the Lord, I was—I uh, met up with the person who brought me to the Lord for the first time. After those two weeks, um, by that time I was—I was pretty convinced that this new uh, faith journey I was on was real. And um, we sat down, and he gave me a Bible, and he—he he taught me a bunch of things. One of the things about reading the Bible is he taught me to pray. The—the the God opens my heart, helps me to understand it and not let the devil steal his word away from me, which is a reference to the parable of the sower. We need to look to God to help us to receive his word in the way that he wants us to. We need to be patient with the process. This is the only book, only ancient book, where the author is still alive. We don't read this as if we have to read it alone. We're dependent upon preachers and teachers. Ultimately, we're dependent upon God. And he will lead us in the truth of his word. Now, just because we pray and ask God to open our hearts and minds when we read his word, that doesn't mean that every thought we get is from him. We need to take every thought back to his his word. We do need to find well trained uh, spiritually led teachers to help us and and good books to help us as well and i'm always available to my brothers and sisters wherever we are at any time just like i tell people when i do my podcasts or my courses that i've done please have any questions of the bible hopefully if i don't know the answer i'll tell you or i'll look it up i'd be honored to help anyone in their, in their journey as much as I can in getting to know God through his word better. But we need, we need to know his word or else we're going to be sitting ducks, easily manipulated by the abuse of scripture wherever it might come. We don't have to, that doesn't have to happen. But we need to be more diligent in the battle into which the Lord has called us. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you again for your word. Thank you that you've not left us alone. You've not left us alone to fend for ourselves in a a dangerous, confusing, threatening world. We thank you that you've given us the scriptures, We thank you that you've given us your spirit. We thank you that your son has died for us to set us free from sin so that we can receive your spirit and read your word with understanding. Open our eyes and hearts to the challenges of the day that we're in that we would be able to stand strong against all the trickery of the evil one. And that this would be more than just a a mission of resistance, but that you would set us free to to go out and to make a difference, to push back the darkness in our day. May you train us in your word to be able to bring it to needy hearts, that you would use us to set the captives free. And Lord, if in any way, Where any of us here today are enchained, we pray that this would be the day that those chains would break and that we ourselves would be set free. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. For additional messages and more information, please visit us on the web at allsaintslutheran.ca